Have you ever studied the Bible, read it, studied it, maybe even memorized something that you studied only to feel cold after you were finished? I think sometimes Bible reading remains cold because it is not warmed by the fire of meditation. And we don't typically talk a lot about meditating on God's Word in churches of Christ. I have to confess, for the life of me, I don't know why. It is just as important as Bible study and prayer, two things that people typically will say Christians ought to be into if we would be faithful to the Lord, if we would please the Lord. Think about this. Those that thrive, those that thrive the most are often those who meditate the best on God and His Word. Those who thrive the most as Christians are often those who meditate the best. They've learned to meditate on God and His Word. It is possible to read and memorize the Bible I am not speaking disparagingly of either because both are very important. But a true story was told years ago about a church that was having problems with someone pilfering money out of the collection plate. This was well before cameras and things of that nature. Finally, they found out that the culprit was a young man a young man who had memorized a lot of scriptures. And when confronted by the elders and the preacher of the church, they asked him, Don't you know the Bible says, You shall not steal? And he looked at them and said, Exodus 20 and verse 15 says that. He had memorized a number of passages but had really not learned to apply and meditate on God's Word. And that was the heart of the problem. When that occurs, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2 is true. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. When we talk about Bible study, how we need to warm our Uh, hearts by the fires of meditation so it doesn't just become cold. Bible study is about learning God's truth, but it's more than that. It is about applying God's truth in our lives in a way that cleanses our hearts and helps us draw nearer to Him. Five quick truths about Bible meditation and its value. Five quick ones. Truth number one, the meaning of biblical meditation. The meaning of biblical meditation. Biblically, meditation means to fill our hearts, our minds, and souls with God and His Word. To fill our hearts, our minds, our very souls with God and with his word. Continuing the idea of the meaning of meditation. 
If you were to look at the Old Testament, two basic Hebrew words are translated meditate in the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old. One word carries with it the idea of, hmm, have a little two-year-old granddaughter sitting right here on row two. Sometimes I will ask her a question, and immediately her index finger goes to her cheek, and she goes, hmm, let me see. And she thinks about it. She mulls it over. She contemplates. And then she goes, yes, if it's something that she's really in favor of. Meditation is, hmm, pondering, mulling over, contemplating. And the other word has to do with rehearsing in one's mind and heart over and over something that we have studied. Rehearsing in our mind and heart over and over something that we have studied. So, a lot of Eastern religions have the idea that meditation is emptying your mind, but when you look at things from a biblical perspective, meditation is filling our hearts and minds and souls with God and with His Word. That brings me to a second truth. Meditation illustrated. Biblical meditation illustrated. Let me give you two illustrations, two examples. When we think of meditating on God's Word and its value, think first of all of a cow. Now, a cow has one stomach consisting of four compartments. But when we think about a cow, it ruminates. They eat food and it goes from one compartment of the stomach to the next. And you and I need to ruminate as God's Word goes through us. Much like the air that we breathe, meditation is allowing our hearts and minds and souls to be consumed with God and His will. Another illustration I think is helpful is this, a tea bag. When a tea bag is placed, when a tea bag is placed in hot water, the water starts to take the color and flavor of the tea. How wonderful it would be if we thought of meditation that way, that our lives started to take on the color and flavor of God and His will in every way. You see, that's disciplining ourselves to greater godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Third, we've looked a little bit at the meditation and its meaning, the subject of meditation and its meaning, and its illustration, its object. When you look at the Bible, we meditate on God's Word, God's creation, God's providence, God's character. God's character, 
God's Word, God's creation, God's providence. It's the big four of meditation. Ask yourself, how much time do I invest just meditating on God's creation and how awesome it is? Like, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Psalm 19.1, what is man that you're mindful of him? Psalm 8, verses 1 through 4. Meditating on God's Word. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Psalm 119 and verse 18. Meditating on a passage like that. God's Word, God's creation, God's providence. How He provides and cares for us. God's character. Now, having looked a little bit at the meaning and illustrations and objects of our meditation, what we ought to be thinking about, who and what, let me move on to a fourth truth, some passages. One almost gets the idea when you talk about meditation sometimes in Christian circles that eyebrows are raised and we wonder whether or not it's biblical. It is as biblical as Bible study and prayer. In fact, I would question whether one does either very well without meditation. Open your Bibles to Joshua 1 and verse 8. In Joshua 1, especially verses 6 through 9, the Word of God talks about being balanced spiritually, not swerving, going to the right, not swerving, going to the left. But it speaks of the importance of meditating on God's Word. Intake, dwelling on it, feasting our souls on God and the things of God. Turn, if you will, to another passage with me. You've got Joshua chapter 1. Turn to Psalm 1, 1 through 3. In this particular psalm, Psalm 1, the introduction to the whole book, you have the godly and the ungodly contrasted. The contrast couldn't be greater. But when you look at the opening verses of Psalm 1, those first three verses, the thing I want you to remember is this. What really is the marked contrast between the righteous and the unrighteous, the godly and the ungodly, is that the godly delights in the law of the Lord and in His law He meditates day and night. I think if it was good enough for Joshua and for God's people, and if it's good enough to introduce the book of Psalms, it really ought to have a great place in our lives today. But if that were not enough, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the chapter of the Old Testament that speaks of the grandeur and beauty and power of God's Word more than any other chapter. 176 verses in Psalm 119 and virtually all of them, virtually all of them talk about Scripture, God's Word in our lives. 
Adam, if I can impose on you, if you would stand with, there at Psalm 119, and let me just get you to read a few passages, if you don't mind. Psalm 119, verse 15. Thank you, brother. Meditation. Look at verse 23. Look at verse 27. Look at verse 48. If you can't get them all, just circle them. Verse 78. Look at verse 98, 97. Look at verse 99. Read 147 and 148. This psalm that so stresses the place of God's Word in our lives truly emphasizes the value and the priority of meditation, of bathing ourselves, of immersing ourselves, our hearts, our souls, our minds in Scripture. You say, Brother Mike, that's the Old Testament. Well, I'm not done yet. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6, notice especially 20 through 23. Proverbs 6, 20 through 23. Here is a father talking to his son, giving him wise counsel. Proverbs 6, 20. My son, keep your father's commandment. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. Keep listening When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. He's saying to his son how important it is for you to meditate on God's Word, to have it not just in your head, your mind, but your heart and in your very soul, and you have pondered the things of God. Have you ever listened to a preacher or a Bible class teacher that you know had just really done their homework, that there is insight and depth and passion? Everything has gone through God's Word with this person when they preach or teach. Most of all, them. Them. They thought about it. They pondered it before they teach or preach. May their tribe increase in the body of Christ. New Testament passages. Open your Bibles to Matthew 4 4. Matthew 4 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. From the mouth of God. Who said it? Jesus. When did He say it? 
when being tempted by the devil, there was something about Jesus that I think we can connect with really well. He invested a lot of time in Scripture and he meditated thereon. And while we certainly may not be Jesus, we can relate to him by the investment we make in Scripture and our meditation upon God and his will. That's something that can be passed on in families. And often isn't. Next. Open your Bibles to Colossians 3.16. And if there's any passage that is really clear as far as the New Testament is concerned about getting God's Word into you, and that means meditation, it includes meditation, it's Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, with all wisdom or in all wisdom. I would suggest strongly that involves contemplating, pondering the text and what it says about God and His will, His creation, His providence, His character. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Open your Bible to 1 Timothy 4.15. 1 Timothy 4.15. The old King James begins this. So, Brother Bill, you'll appreciate it. Meditate upon these things. Be absorbed. Give yourself wholly. Be devoted to them. What things? Look at verse 12. Be devoted and meditate on things regarding your character as a servant of the Lord. Verse 13. Meditate on these things and be immersed in them. Your ministry in the Word, the reading of Scripture, teaching, doctrine. Those are the types of things that Christians ought to pay attention to because it helps us love the Lord more and draw closer to Him. Meditation. The often referred to 2 Timothy 2.15 builds on what was said in 1 Timothy 4.15. Study, give diligence, make every effort to present yourself approved to God as workmen who need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So both Old Testament and New speak clearly and well of the value of meditation. Number five. The practice of meditation. Let me give you quickly some helps, some various ways to practice meditation. Generally speaking, less is more. You may have your Bible reading, and it can be fairly lengthy. But when it comes to meditation, normally it's a passage or two or a paragraph 
normally. Often it is for me. Let me give you some examples with one verse. And this is an example of the practice of emphasis. Emphasis. John 2 verse 5, Mary says, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, Brian, you can break it down word by word. The emphasis. Whatever. Am I willing to do whatever he says in whatever? Whatever he says to you. Whatever he says to you. Whatever he says to you, do. Whatever he says to you, do it. Do you get the point? And one can ponder that for a while and mull it over and maybe ask yourself, are there areas of my life that I'm not included in the whatever? Whatever he says. Is that the final court for me? Or is it what people think? Whatever he says to you, do it. Think of John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, I am, I am, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. What hope that expression would engender when life is hard. How about Philippians 121? Emphasis. Philippians 121. For to me, for to me to live, for to me to live is Christ. For to me to live is Christ and to die, to die is gain. Sometimes by emphasizing an expression, the phrases, the words, we can really meditate on it. Secondly, Restate what you have studied, the verse or the passage, in your own words. Restate it in your own words. Write it down in your own words. A passage like Psalm 23 is so helpful in this regard. God, you are my shepherd. You lead me, you feed me, you protect me. You're all I want and provide all I really need. Write it down. Third, pray the passage back to God. I am a firm believer that we never study a passage. We've not really interpreted a passage. We've certainly not dug deeply into a passage until we can somehow pray it back to God. The Psalms are not just praises. Most of them are prayers. And think about all the prayers in the Bible. I believe Brother Lynn was talking about that just the other night on Wednesday evening. That will help us to use the Word of God to learn to pray in a more God-honoring way. Again, there are people here that are artists. Maybe you can turn the passage you have studied into a song. 
I think a lot of the hymn writers that wrote hymns for our songbooks have spent a lot of time thinking about the themes that they write the words of the songs to. They're beautiful. This little light of mine. You think that anybody was thinking of Matthew 5, 13 through 16? I'm going to let it hide it under a bushel? No. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. You think somebody was thinking about God and how to bring God out to little people in their hearts and souls and minds? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So the artist in us can write a song about what we've studied, write a poem about what we've studied. And many times through the years, I recall Cherie, when our children were young, and doing this with our grandkids too, writing a picture, drawing a picture that coincided with what I was preaching. And I said, man, if I was an artist, I would have loved to have been able to do that. And she just was listening, and she drew a picture of what I was talking about. Some of you are good at that. And it helps people learn. And it also helps you to meditate on what is being said. And some people make, can, can come up with skits or sketches that illustrate the truth of what's being talked about in God's Word. Stories. Again... Ask the, four, uh, ask the Philippians 4.8 questions. Turn there. Ask yourself the Philippians 4.8 questions. Really a simple process. The Philippians 4.8 questions about what you have read and studied as you ponder them. Whatever is true, what is true about what I've been studying... What is honorable about it? How can I to show this in an honorable way in my life? Whatever is just or righteous, whatever is pure, how does this passage motivate me to greater purity? Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, meditate on these things. The Philippians 4.8 principle will bless you if you'll apply that consistently in your own meditations concerning God and His will. Let me close because I wanted to end a little early. Meditation will feed your heart and mind and soul. It will feed your heart and mind and soul. And it will light a fire so that you will want to meditate even more. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. And perhaps there's someone here that needs to come to Jesus in faith, repentance, and baptism. Now is a time that the invitation of the Lord is always open. But at this point, you can come to Jesus if you would. You can be His child. And for those of us who are Christians, I hope the study tonight has encouraged you to think a little more, even if it's only for a few moments each day. It'd be good for a young mama. It would be good for a retiree. It would be good for a widow or a widower. It would be good for anyone in any age 
to be like that tea bag and steep yourself in God's Word. To be like that cow and ruminate on what you've taken in. Let us stand and sing.